Hey everybody, it's Nathaniel Avila reporting from Dallas County, and, and who's who's here? Who's who's here with us today? Hi, it's Han Yu. Ah, so uh, what are we talking about today? <clears throat> and all honestly, I don't remember. <laughs> well, we're going to be talking about the dead hand. Do you know anything mm. about that? I don't remember. Well, it is. A Cold War era automatic nuclear weapons control system. It was constructed by the Soviet Union. So, we're going back to Russia. Ah. So, let's get back. Let's, let's, let's start. The perimeter, which is also what it's called. The Dead Hand actually appeared as an alternative system for all units armed with nuclear weapons. And it was meant to be a backup communication system in case the key components of the Kazbek command system and the link to the strategic missile forces are destroyed by a decapitation first strike. To ensure its functionality, the system was designed to be fully automatic with the ability to decide an adequate retaliatory strike on its own with no or minimal human involvement in the event of an all-out attack. So according to the to uh, Vladimir uh, Urinich, a developer of the system, this system also served as a buffer between hasty decisions based on unverified information by the country's leadership upon le receiving warnings about a nuclear attack. The leader would reactivate the system and then wait for fully de further developments assured by the fact that even the destruction of all key personnel with the authority to command the response of the attack could still not prevent a retaliatory strike. Thus, the use of the system would theoretically reduce the likeliness of a false alarm triggered retaliation. So what do you think about that now that we, we got to get a whole picture of what the dead hand is? That's interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like, um, so even with, in case someone were to go and nuke all of Russia, even like all the, like the top heavy hitters, they would still be able to sh like shoot their own nukes back at them regardless of, of the outcome. What, what do you think about that concept? That would be really upsetting actually mm-hmm uh, thank goodness we never had to use it am I right true very true mm -hmm. so uh, the purpose of the dead hand system was described in the book of the same name and it was to maintain a second strike capability by ensuring that the destruction of the Soviet leadership would not have prevented the Soviet military from releasing its weapons so yeah so what do you think about this whole thing with the Soviets wanting to make sure that they have the last hurrah no matter what? I don't know. So, it kind of like <coughs> brings into uh, this whole thing about this whole mutually assured destruction idea. About how you need nukes in order to have peace or whatever. <laughs> it would be interesting mm -hmm. to be able to do that, but would it be beneficial? 
we do that now. True. <laughs> so, yeah, so, like, nobody wants to, like, launch the first one. Because if they know that if we launch the first one, then everyone else is launching theirs. So, there's that. So, let's go back to the Soviet concern about the issue, which grew with the U.S. development of highly accurate submarine-launched ballistic missile systems in the 1980s. So until then, the United States would have delivered most nuclear weapons by long-range bomber, or ICBM. Earlier, U.S. sub-launched missiles, such as the 1960s vintage UGM-27 Polaris and the 1970s vintage UGM-73 Poseidon, were considered too inaccurate for a counterforce or first strike attack. Now, an attack against the opponent's weapons. Now, SLBMs were reserved for attacking cities, where accuracy was less of importance. In the first case, an opponent with effective radar and satellite surveillance would expect a 30-minute warning of an attack before the first detonation. This made an effective first strike difficult because the opponent would have the would have time to launch on warning to reduce the risk of their forces being destroyed on the ground. Now, though development of highly accurate SLBMs, such as the Trident C4 and later the D5, upset this balance. Now, the Trident D5 is considered as accurate as any land-based ICBM. Therefore, the US or the UK Trident submarine systems could stealthily approach an enemy's coast and launch highly accurate warheads at close range, inducing the available warning to less than three minutes, making a counterforce first strike or decapitation strike viable. So yeah, that's what the Soviet Union was going up against. What do you think about that? That seems interesting and kind of uh, scary if you think about it mm -hmm. did you live during the uh the cold war no no i don't think so no do you think it would be because the cold war ended in 1991 <laughs> can you imagine living in such a time living in such fear like that where you can be nuked <clears throat> at any moment True. It would it would be interesting. I mean, there was a movie based off of that called Blast from the Past. What was that about? Uh, it is about the family. Uh, the father built a bomb shelter in his backyard to mm -hmm. assemble looking just like their house on top. And they got the alarms of something coming down and they thought it was the bombs. And so they went down to the bomb shelter and they lived there for about 20 years. And the thing is, when they tried to get out, debris and stuff from some satellite or something dropped on their house. Mm -hmm. So everyone assumed they were dead because of that. And so over the years, a whole new thing came up. And uh, the father went up there and saw these weird hippies and stuff at the time mm -hmm. and deemed it not safe yet okay. and so finally his son goes up when he's about 25 to yeah. try to repopulate the the world with what well they don't know that 
it never ended. The Cold World War ended without bombs being dropped. Mm-hmm. And he ends up finding this nice young girl because his name was Adam. Mm-hmm. He found an Eve. Whoa, dude. That's now that's some high-level <laughs> thinking. It's, it's one of the most wonderful movies ever. <laughs> and it's Brandon Fraser. Brandon Fraser's in it? He plays yes. the 25-year-old? Oh, okay. Yeah, check it out then. I'm a huge Fraser head. <laughs> So, uh, so the Soviet Union actually took steps to ensure that nuclear retaliation and hence deterrence remain possible even if its leadership were to be destroyed in a surprise attack. Now, in contrast, Thompson argues that uh, the dead hand's function was to limit acts of misjudgment by political and military leadership in the right decision-making window between SLBM uh, or cruise missile launches and impact. He quotes uh, Zelen Zyanakov in the purpose of uh, the dead hand being to cool down all those hotheads and extremists. No matter what's going to happen, there will still be revenge. So, so uh, they're saying that also like this whole dead hand thing was it's supposed to help stave off like, you know, the these these guys who are in like the heat of war and they're like we gotta fight now type thing uh what do you think about that do you think that the that sometimes these political leaders can be a bit hot-headed at points and let their emotions kind of like get interfere and all that kind of stuff yeah Mm, do you think this will stop that no no why not because people are hard-headed That is very true. Very true indeed. So upon activation and determination of the happening of the nuclear war, the system sends out a 15P-011 command missile with a special 15B-99 warhead that releases commands to open all silos and command centers of the RVSN with appropriate receivers in flight. The command missile system is similar to the U.S. Energy Emergency Rocket Communication System. So, uh, so this is the only well-known element of the entire. The only well-known element of the entire system is in the complex. Uh, sits a 15P011 rocket with the index of 15A11, developed by KB Yasno based on the 15A16 rocket. So with commanding radio warhead designed 15B99, designed by the LPI team design bureau, uh, this ensures the transmission of launch orders from the central command post to all missile launch complexes under the (laughs) impedance of nuclear explosions and active ECMs during the unpowered flight phase. Uh, so technical operation is completely identical to operating in a 16A, 15A16 base rocket. The 15P716 launcher is sh- a shift-shaped automatic passive system of the missile launch facility type, most likely upgraded facility coded as OS84, but does not rule out the possibility of basing the rocket in other types of silos. Development began in 1974 by the order of the Ministry of Defense. Flight rests were at flight tests were ca- carried out at the NIIP 
uh, five fave range from 1979 to 1986. A total of seven launches, with six successful and one partially successful, were conducted, and the system had entered the service in January of 1985. So the 15B99 warhead weighs 1,412 kilograms. How much is that in American? We gotta, we gotta find out. 1412 1412 kilograms to pounds that's about three tons wow so what do you you think about this about this whole thing about like the inner workings of how the how this this dead hand is supposed to work i mean (laughs) at a moment's notice I mean, a whole country can be wiped out. Yeah, it's that's the nuclear, that's the atomic age. That was a very scary time to be alive, I tell you what. This was before, like, the UN and the League of Nations and all that kind of stuff. Well, actually, the League of Nations were around, but this was before the whole, like, people, like, going into, like, nuclear packs and everything, where everyone yeah. was like, we have to have, like, an understanding how we're going to use these things. So, uh, so this is the least publicly an understood component of the entire system so let's let's go into that so with no reliable information on its existence so this is where the whole mystery kind of comes in so speculation exists that the system is fully equipped with a variety of communication systems and sensors that monitor the military situation this system is believed to be able to track the intensity of communications on military frequencies receives telemetric signals from the command post measure the level of radiation on the surface and on the vicinity, which combine the detection of short-term seismic disturbance, is inferred as a multiple warhead nuclear strike. This system may possibly even be able to track people still alive in command posts. The correlation system, after analyzing these factors, may take the final step on launching the missiles. So other hypotheses suggest that the dead man switch is utilized. Upon receiving information about the missile launch, the Supreme Commander sets the system <coughs> active, which, if not detecting a signal to stop the combat algorithm, automatically launches the commanding missile. So that's that whole thing happened. So to this day, we still don't 100% know how this dead hand thing works. Uh, because this was made like in the 1980s, so it's not like like how everything's automated now. So, do do you, how do you, do you think that do you agree with this theory about how it might have worked? I mean, it makes sense. I mean, it does make sense, especially if you're going beyond your own technology just to screw someone over before they screw you over. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. So uh, rewind a bit to 1967. The Soviet Union first attempted to create a a system called Signal, which they could use to create 30 pre-made orders from their headquarters to the missile units. Although the system was still not completely automatic, their intent was no different. So, fast forward again to the early 1990s, several former high-ranking members of the Soviet military and the Central Committee of the Communist Party, in a series of interviews to the American defense contractor BDM, 
admitted that the existence of the dead hand, making somewhat contradictory statements concerning its deployment. Hmm. Things are getting fishy. Aren't they always? Yeah, especially when it comes to the Soviet Union. They're not known for being very truthful. Of course not. Mm-hmm. So, Colonel General uh, Varfolomi uh, Korobushin, former deputy chief of the Strategic Rocket Forces in 1992, said that the Russians had a system to be activated only during a crisis that would automatically launch all missiles triggered by a combination of light, radioactivity, and overpressure, even if every nuclear command center and all leadership were destroyed. A thought just crossed into my head. What do you think? Well, what if this was like an entire, like a, like a bluff? What if this is a bluff where they just made it up to make sure that no one will launch nukes on them? I mean, that's also a high possibility. I think we did that too with, with Star Wars. Remember that? Yeah. <laughs> so it wouldn't, make, it wouldn't be that out of the ordinary where, where they did, where they would do the same thing. Um... For those of you who don't know, Star Wars was a was a was a was a thing that Reagan made up that was like supposed to be like the satellite laser beam in the thing where he said that if you launch nukes, our city laser beam thing will will shoot at it with its laser beam from space and explode it in midair. And he called it Star Wars. And um, it didn't exist. It wasn't real. It was just a bluff. So uh yeah, so Colonel General Andrian Danilovich, assistant for doctrine and strategy to the chief of general staff in 1984 to 1990, <clears throat> stated that in 1992 that the dead hand had been contemplated, but that the Soviets considered automatic trigger systems too dangerous. Ah! Furthermore, <laughs> yeah. Furthermore, such systems became unnecessary with the advent of efficient early warning, uh, warning systems and increased missile red readiness to the idea had been rejected. So, there's that. 1993, Vitaly uh, Katayev, senior advisor to the chairman of the Defense Industry Department of the Central Committee of the Communist Party. In 1967 and 1985, so responsible for strategic arms and defense policy, <laughs> arms control negotiations and military doctrine confirmed that the dead hand had been definitely operational by the 1980s. According to Katayev, it was not completely automatic, but it was intended to be activated manually during a threatening crisis, and it ha was to be triggered by numerous sensitive to light. Numerous sensors sensitive to light, seismic shock, radiation, and our atmospheric density. Now, although most, both Katayev and Korobushin Claimed that the mechanism had already been deployed, Viktor Surikov, Deputy Director of the Central Scientific Research Institute for General Machine Building, uh, in 19, 1976 to 1992, confirmed that in 1993 the Soviets had designed an automatic launch system with seismic light radiation sensors and said that the design had ultimately been rejected by Marshal Sergei Akromayev. On advice from Gorobushin, and never materialized. So, there's that. So, what do, you, what do you think? Did this dead hand thing really exist? Because we're kind of getting different stories here. I mean, it's a possibility. Mm -hmm. 
it seems to me, based on the information that we have, it seems to me that the Dead Hand did exist in some way, shape, or form. Though the the Soviet Union might have been just embellishing like the automaticness of it all, in order to try to deter uh, the uh, the U.S. or the or Great Britain to uh, not you know nuke them in this in this very high high intense point in history. So that's what I'm leading more towards. So. What do you think? Do you think that's that's why I'm in the right ballpark there? Yeah. Okay. I feel like that's how I'm feeling too. Great. So, uh, so accounts differ actually as to the degree of automation of the dead hand. So, in the 1993 issue of the New York Times, this is what it's it's written. This is from the article from the New York Times by William J. Broad. Uh, <clears throat> the dead hand system, uh, he meaning Dr. Blair, describes today takes a defensive t defensive tread to its logical, if chilling, conclusion. <coughs> the automated system, in theory, would allow Moscow to respond to a Western attack even if top military commanders had been killed and the capital incinerated. So the heart of the system is said to lie in deep underground bunkers south of Moscow and at backup locations. In a crisis, military officials would send a coded message to the bunkers, switching from on the dead hand. If nearby ground level sensors detected a nuclear attack on Moscow, and if a break was detected in communications links with the top military commanders, the system would send low frequency signals over underground antennas to special rockets. Flying high over the missile fields and other military sites, these rockets would, in turn, would broadcast attack orders to missiles, bombers, and via radio relays, submarine at, submarines at sea. Contrary to some Western beliefs, Dr. Blair says many of Russia's nuclear-armed missiles in underground silos and on mobile launchers can be fired automatically. So, there's that. So, however, more recent sources indicate that the system was semi-automatic. In a 2007 article, Ron Rosenbaum quotes Blair as saying that the dead hand is designed to ensure semi-automatic retaliation to a decapitating strike. Rosenbaum writes, of course, there's a world of difference between a semi-automatic doomsday device and a totally automatic beyond human control doomsday device. So this is what David E. Hoffman wrote in the semi-automatic nature of the dead hand in uh in his article uh for uh fresh air and they meaning the soviets thought they could help those leaders by creating an alternative system so that the leader could press a button and that would say i delegate this to someone else i don't know if there's our missiles coming out coming or not somebody else decide so if that were the case, he, meaning the Soviet leader, would flip on a system that would send a signal into deep underground bunker on the shape of a globe where three duty officers sat. If there were real missiles and the Kremlin were hit and the Soviet leadership was wiped out, which is what they feared, those guys in that deep underground bunker would have to decide whether to launch a very small command rockets 
that would take off, fly across vast territory of, of the Soviet Union, and launch all their remaining missiles. Now, the Soviets had once thought about creating a fully automatic system, sort of a machine, a doomsday machine, that would launch without any human action at all. When they drew that blueprint up and looked at it, they thought, you know, this is probably crazy. Do you agree? Do you think it's crazy? No, I don't think it's crazy. <gasps> Why not? I mean, isn't that what life's about? You take chances, make mistakes, get and messy? That's true. Um, but I don't know when you're talking about, like, a nuclear bomb. I don't know if that... I mean, sometimes you don't want to be messed with, so... You stay over there, and I'll stay over here. That's why I'm an introvert. Okay. Are you going to watch that new Oppenheimer film? I don't know. I heard that uh, Nolan detonated an actual atom bomb for that film. Oh. He's into that practical. He's into that practical effects. So fast forward again to 2011. The commander of the Russian Strategic Missile Forces... Uh, Colonel General Sergei Karakov, in, a, in an interview with um, some uh, Russian tabloid newspaper, uh, I can't pronounce it, uh, confirmed the operational state of the perimeter assessment and communication system. So in 2018, Colonel General Viktor Yesin, the former chief of Russia's main staff of the Strategic Missile Forces, stated that the perimeter system might become effective in the wake of the United States' withdrawal of the Intermediate Range Nuclear Forces Treaty. So what do you think about that? You, so they're saying that they might bring back the dead hand after, uh, after uh, the United States' withdrawal to this, uh, to this treaty that was signed uh, in 1987. Well, what, do you, what do you think about that, that it might be in use today? I mean, it's at least a possibility. Mm-hmm. Hopefully we'll never find out, because that, that's scary. Would you agree? Yeah, that is scary. Are you on, on the mindset of wanting to survive the initial blast, or are you one of those people who just wants to, like, get it over with? I'm a 50-50. Okay. Do you think you can live in, like, a post-apocalyptic world? Maybe. Okay. I... Only because I'm probably in one of those few kind of peoples that may already have a battle plan if a survival-type thing of zombies or anything. Mm -hmm. So I already have a plan of how to do it. Do you want to tell us the plan, or are you afraid we're gonna we're gonna steal it? Oh, everyone has their own plan. Okay. It's just depending on how you implement it. Mm-hmm. So I remember I took this old this this class when I was in high school. <clears throat> it was called Survivor. Um, and it was basically being us being taught various Survivor stuff like how to survive and one of them was how to survive a nuclear attack and i don't remember a lot of it i don't remember it i think one of it was dig underground i think was 
one of the things you had to do. Am, am, is that right? Hmm. Kind of. Okay. Um, I kind of actually would probably take a little bit of what I would do to survive out of a uh, audio audible drama that I I currently am used to listen to called well, yeah. We're Alive. We're Alive? Yes. Is it based off of the, uh, the, the TV show where it's like a bunch of people experience, like telling people, like telling them their uh, near-death experiences? Uh, no. No, it's not that? Okay, what, what is it about? It's kind of a, a zombie apocalypse. Okay. Um, type of survivor. It's very heavy lid. It actually follows in the original series because it's got a couple of spin-offs so far, and right now they're doing their children and how everything has changed. Anyway, oh, no. um, <clears throat> the original followed two, uh, three army. Uh, army guys mm -hmm. and them trying to survive biters uh, and some of and not all biters are equal there are actually fast and bloated ones mm -hmm. among other other types um, and you find out that uh, the person that actually started this weird thing is trying to create new ones and Weirdly enough, the smarter you are in life, the smarter you are when you turned. And so, some of these zombies have actually made ambushes to get new victims. Mm -hmm. well, and just yeah. the survivors coming together in um, different factions. Like, one of the factions is called the Maulers. They're uh, prisoners that got out of prison and have made a new life with other expectations mm -hmm. and how they fight against each other and also the zombie types okay. so it's actually a really good audio drama and it's on audible you said Yes, it is on audible okay. and you can also go to the website where live and download it that way too okay so you don't it's not like an audible exclusive like you don't need to have like audible to to listen to it no it wasn't originally on audible the okay. original series is on uh is on audible right now and i think the other two series that they did are on audible okay. the newest one that they're doing with their children and showing some of the changes in doing some callbacks to the original um right now it's only on their website okay so you hear that folks definitely check that out and what do you think is like what's the deal with like media not wanting to call zombies zombies like what's what's the deal with that um i think it's more of it would instill that zombie movies are prevalent and even though they watch zombie movies in their own trope this is their real life so zombies can't actually be real because that's just what movies do okay. and that's what movies call them 
And so to distinguish their real life from the zombies being called zombies, even though that's what they are, mm-hmm. they try to make something new. Okay. That's interesting. Okay, I get it. But why why just those zombies? Why not that same logic apply to like vampires or werewolves or stuff like that? Because I think the reason for that is werewolves and vampires are weirdly an older tradition. Okay. And they were more of a spoken legend that possibly could have been real. And so they were talked about before they became movies. Uh, okay, I get it. Like their instances or essence was done way before they were put on the big screen. Got so it. vampires and werewolves can be interchangeable in movies or being talked about in both senses because it's one of those I heard it from a friend of a friend of a friend of a mother's of an uncle's of a niece. Mm-hmm. three generations back that this happened right okay i get it i make I, that makes sense um is the walking dead still out is it is the final season over <coughs> i i honestly don't know i didn't follow the walking dead oh snap not even when it was like the peak of of tv no oh snap <laughs> Oh uh, yeah, that's like one of those shows where that kind of outstayed its welcome a little bit. It's not like it was only it was only like Breaking Bad where they like ended it while I was still good, and uh, and well, I, so with The Walking Dead, after I think want to say about season four or five, mm-hmm. they divulged from the comics. Oh, that's so a huge no-no. After that, it's completely a different story than how the comics go. Right. Have you seen the the Last of Us, like the show the on new series yeah. that just came out from the video game? Yeah. No, I have not. It's like straight up one for one on the video game, where they actually like lift dialogue from the video game cutscenes, and they basically like believe- shot for shot recreate it. I believe that. Um, I feel like. Some places are getting the permission from other sources, and so it's making it easier to make it come from the source material, other mm-hmm. than trying to divulge from the source material. Some places, the reason they do that or change things mm-hmm. is because they're trying to keep the source material, or they don't have full permission to use all the stuff from the source material. Mm-hmm. Is that what happened so to... Have... Yeah? What were yeah. you saying? That they have to change it from there. Right. Is that what happened to World War Z? Where, like, nothing was the same as the book, just the title? Maybe. Yeah. I mean, to be honest, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory is vastly different from the book that it was originally from, and that's because they couldn't use the book. But Charlie and the Chocolate Fa- uh, Factory is closer to the actual book than Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. The Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory was the one that was made by Mel Stewart in the 1970s, right? Yes. Okay. but And then Charlie and the Chocolate Factory has Johnny Depp as Charlie. Okay. Johnny Depp as Charlie? He's kind of old to play Charlie, though. 
Uh, you mean he played as Wonka? He plays Willy Wonka. Yeah, uh, it's been a while since I've seen it. So in that one, that one, okay. that one's closer based on the actual book. Really? So he had like so Willy Wonka had a a, a dentist dad in in the book. I can't remember. I haven't read the book in a very long yeah. time. The ones that I still have prominent knowledge that differ between the book and the movie is I Am Legend and the color purple. Uh, I Am Legend is really actually more sad in the book and more fucked up in the book. Oh, oh. excuse me. <laughs> you, you can curse in this. It's fine. The the book is way it's way different than the move uh, the movie that they did. Mm. Isn't like the, in the in the book the zombies are supposed to be like intelligent beings? Technically, they're not considered zombies. They're considered vampires. Oh, they're vampires because they sleep at night, and mm. that's or they're active at night. They sleep during the day, mm. which he goes and kills them during the day because they're not active right and so in the book he finds another supposedly well he finds another human and he kind of he finally is glad that he has another human being to actually talk to mm -hmm. but then she runs away and that's about as all I'm gonna say because if I say any more Folks who've never read the book, it 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 it'll ruin it. Okay. So that's that's all I'm gonna say. So yeah. there, there's a a very vast difference between the book and the movie. In in the movie, there's other human survivors. In the book, hmm? there's there's no there's no human survivors in the book except for that one lady, who yeah runs away. We'll, we'll say that. We'll say that, yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So, okay, definitely, okay, check out uh, the uh, I Am Legend novel, uh, at least before, uh, in preparation for the I Am Legend 2 movie coming out uh, eventually uh, with Michael B. Jordan. So, yeah, that, also, that's, that's the dead hand also for you. Uh, you gotta be careful out there because it might be the apocalypse because of the dead hand. Uh, what's Make your... sure you get your survival plan in order. You gotta have a survival plan. Especially the people that you're going to not look for and those that you need to look for. Mm -hmm. Make sure you have a rendezvous point. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, so yeah, what's your entire opinion of this whole dead hand thing as a whole? <laughs> um, it's, it's a scary thought. <laughs> as I slowly die on my own apocalypse. Okay. Um, it's a scary thought that that's a possibility, but if it's true, we would have already been dead, and this is just the matrix that we think we're living in an actual real world. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, have you ever seen the, the, the show Chernobyl? I don't think so. Check out Chernobyl. It's made by the same person who makes who's making the Last of Us show. Um, it's about the whole Chernobyl uh, disaster, the melt, the nuclear meltdown that happened in uh, the Ukraine, which was then part of Soviet the Soviet Union in the in the 90s or the 80s or somewhere on there. And it really it shows like this uh, 
uh, about these this the effects of radiation and how terrible it is. So definitely check that out. It's on HBO um, if you wanna if you wanna see it. So yeah, that's that's the that's the dead hand for you. Uh, I've been Nathaniel Avila. And I'm Han Yu. And we'll talk to you guys later. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to A Vision Podcast, home of Wacky Talkies, The Kingdom, Evil Exists, and many more.